Kaiju FM. Come find your niche. Welcome to The Prestige, a podcast for people who love films, by people who love films. I'm Sam, I'm a teacher, academic, writer, I've lectured in universities, taught in schools, and I currently teach literature in a sixth form college at A-level. Um, he's Rob, he's a podcaster, editor, author, you name it. Um, one of the things he's turned his hand to is working in the nuts and bolts side of the movie business. So the idea is that I know how things should theoretically work and he knows how things actually work. And we take a different film each week and we review it and we look at it in terms of themes and ideas and we end with recommendations based on that film. And we're going through um, Disney movies this sub-season. We've had a look at some other genres and we're ending with Disney movies and their adaptations. So all of our movies that we'll be looking at will be from the Disney canon. Every week we start off with what else we've been engaging with culture-wise and... um, for reasons of illness, we've had um, a little bit more time than we normally have. So, Rob, have you had a chance to engage with anything? Nothing good. <laughs> <laughs> Essentially, yeah. um, I, I did this. I, I had a look at my listings recently, and uh, since our last recording, I haven't watched a good film. <laughs> so, the two films I've watched since our last recording are the Horton Hears a Who animated film. And the 2019 film X-Men The Dark Phoenix. I saw Horton. I thought that's a bad film. Give it two stars. Watch Phoenix. Uh, that was a worse film. Gave that one and a half stars. Um, yeah, I'm a big X-Men fan in my day-to-day life. I've always enjoyed the X-Men comics. Um, and I enjoy X-Men movies. I've seen them all, including their sort of diminishing returns as they've gone on and on and on. And Dark Phoenix... Um, which is telling a very famous X-Men storyline of Jean Grey becoming the Phoenix. It's a well-known one. It was trod in X-Men 3, the first go-round of the X-Men films. Um, And it was just bad. The effects were brilliant. It all looked lovely. But characters made decisions made no sense. Clearly, behind the scenes, a lot of contracts were up. So they just killed off people willy-nilly. It was just... It was just a bad movie. And it's a real shame because some people in it, like like some of the actors have been working on this plot arc for a decade um, to go here. But yeah, it was just, it was just shockingly bad. Um, so I'm afraid I can't offer any good recommendations. I can't offer anything worth having. What about you? Well, I have seen a lot of bad films. After sort of a, a run of good action films at the start of the year, I've I can't seem to find a good film. Um, and the last one of these was so bad that I stopped watching after 20 minutes. So I'm not even going to, not even going to say what that was. Uh, so I have 
have I quite enjoyed the um I've I've watched the whole of Snowpiercer, which is interesting because it, I mean it's it's a good fun TV series to binge on. Um, it has that going for us, and it has Jennifer Connelly and David Diggs, and they're very watchable. Um, it's also interesting because it's based on a Boone John Hope film, and that itself was based on a graphic novel from eight years ago, and they're all wildly different in terms of um, narrative and characters, and the graphic novel it goes into several volumes involving people flying planes and crashing into train stations and it it sounds bizarre um the chris evans film is then sort of a retreading of one of those narrative arcs and then snowbears of the tv series appears to take a different tack entirely so that was that was quite enjoyable reading through those different ones and then a really good film that I saw that I wasn't expecting to be any good at all, it was just thrown up by Netflix's algorithm, was a film called The Town. And the branding of it didn't look up to much at all. It just looked like a B-rate, straight-to-Netflix film. Um, and I wasn't expecting much of it at all. It's a gangster film. Um, and then it turns out to be absolutely amazing and it's an early directorial film from Ben Affleck, has Ben Affleck and Jerry Renner and it's Pete Postlethwaite's last acting role and Rebecca Hall is very good and all these people that you'll you'll see and you think, oh yeah, I, I know them. So they're all recognisable faces. John Hamm is the lead detective bizarrely and um, mm. it's just astounding and i wasn't expecting it at all so that's a genuine recommendation from me is trying to tell the town it's I, that, I really enjoyed that uh, when i saw it way back that's a, that's a good film that is as sam mentioned at the start we pick a film and we talk about that each week we have a little chat about the movie and we're currently walking through the original remake sort of dichotomy of Disney live-action movies. Last week we talked about the original Beauty and the Beast, and this week we pick up with the 2017 remake. My dear Belle, you're so ahead of your time. This is a small village. You are the most gorgeous thing I've ever seen. Nobody deserves you. And it's small-minded as well. But small also means safe. I've come for my father. He's a thief. Come into the light. I will escape, I promise. Look, a girl. Who said that? Hello. You can talk. Well, of course. It's all he ever does. How lovely to make your acquaintance. Want to see me do a trick? What happens when the last petal falls? The Nastel remains a beast forever. And we become antiques. 
What did you do to it? Nothing. Get out of here. Go! If she is the one who'll break the spell, you must finally learn to love. Have you really read every one of these books? <gasps> Some of them are in Greek. True as it can be. So the remake of Beating the Beast treads very similar format, well-trod ground as the original, telling the tale of Belle, a local girl in a provincial town, who ends up the prisoner of an enchanted beast in an enchanted castle in an enchanted wood. And it is about the slow, burgeoning romance between the two of them as the clock counts down on his enchantment of remaining a beast forever. Whilst in the, in the local town, divisions and tempers are set alight by Gaston in terms of uh, building up his name and building up a... Love is the wrong word, but a desire to own and marry Belle. And he uses that to be the uh, the local strongman, shall we say, to run the town. Sam, last week you were pleasantly surprised on your first watch through of Beauty and the Beast. How did you find the remake? Well, I would say that it was some time ago that I watched this film. But, um... No, cut that out. That's really... I'll start again. Um, I very much enjoyed this film and I thought... I mean, I was expecting a lot more from it because I'd just seen the original. Um... I liked the way that it filled in plot holes from the original um, things about the enchantment, um, for example. Um, so, and the fact that everyone has forgotten them in the castle, even though it was, it was a, a dozen years ago, or 11 years ago, 10 years ago, it was. Um, and I liked also the fact that it makes the prince right at the beginning, meaner than the original. In the original, he's just a stuffy kid who happens to turn away this old woman. Um, and in this one, he's it feels like he's something out of... Um, what's that film with Natalie Portman about ballerinas? Black, Black Swan. Star. Black Swan, yes. It felt like the way that his makeup was done was... Like, like say he was he was a... An, an antagonist from a production in Black Swan. And I, I really enjoyed that, the way that immediately you were drawn into the fact that he had done something 
very wrong in telling away the injunctions at the beginning. Um, so I really like that. Um, I, th- I liked everything about this film. Apart, I just thought Emma Watson was fine. Like, not bad, not good, just fine. She mm-hmm. existed. And everyone, all the other characters I thought were really good. I really enjoyed The Beast. I really enjoyed Gaston. I enjoyed the, vis- the villagers. I just thought... I, I don't know what it was about about Emma Watson. Just everything else else felt more fleshed out. Well, not no pun intended. More fleshed out than the animation, and Bell didn't necessarily do it for me. How about you? I hated it from start to end. <laughs> Brilliant. I deeply didn't like this film. <laughs> <laughs> everything that you say you like to the reasons why I didn't like it, uh, which is very strange. Yeah, I I mean, I'm the preacher. I come into this as a big fan of the original. So I can't, I can't separate myself from that. But it felt very much to me that they needed a longer running time. And so they filled it with these, as you say, filling in the plot holes from the original. But like, no one cares. No one cares. It's from the original. Like it's just it's a animated fairy tale. You know, no one's really seriously wondering why don't the town remember the castle? Because it's a fairy tale. It exists in its own place. And this film just oh, it was just so bad. I just I can't, honestly I can't explain how I just didn't like it. I thought that Emma Watson, she was like she she's Emma Watson. She's a movie star. She has a quality to her that makes a movie star. But she basically just, as you said, existed through the film. The Beast was in the original. You see him as a character who has been alone too long and is angry. And slowly he learns to become a real person, a whole person. And she falls in love with him. And in this, he's just a deeply unpleasant person almost all the way through. It's just everything they changed, I hated. Just, and it was a genuine slog to go through it. Um, and yeah, I just, it was just bad. I think if I'm going to take it beyond my personal preferences here and actually talk about this as a movie in its own place, a lot of the live action and modern Disney work has an element of commentary, meta-commentary on its source material. So in the same way that we, we talked about um, Lion King, the Jungle Book, Jungle Book, one of the points that was raised in, and we raised ourselves, is in Jungle Book, is that is Shere Khan right? That maybe Mowgli is a bad person. Like the whole thing of that movie, the comment it's making is, is Shere Khan right about Mowgli? And movies like Frozen do, they comment on the love at first sight trope, and films like Wreck It Ralph do work where they comment on the history of princesses and all of that kind of thing. Um, and I'm sure we'll catch more of this. And this one, it felt like whoever wrote it has spent the last 20 years listening to the you know, the grown ads on Reddit and Twitter going, well, what about this? What about this plot hole in Beauty and the Beast? What about that? And so their commentary they're making is to fill in all those blanks. And it just felt too 
busy. It just felt so much was going on. And like there's a bizarre subplot when we've got to meet Belle's mum when she's dying of a plague. And there's an early subplot where Belle can, is an inventor and is teaching people to read and that's entirely forgotten. And it just felt like they made all these changes because they couldn't just make the same film again, which is fair enough. They, they can't make them again. But it was all just worse. It was all just worse. So yeah, sorry, sorry. I, I, I just no. I deeply when I said I had a bad run of films, this was part of that run. Um, I buried the lead a little bit, you know. I mean, it was a very good looking film. I mean, it looked the, the production design and the sets were amazing. I can't fault them. I would say they're a bit too busy. I think there's too much going on. You look at Lumiere and Cogsworth. And every flat surface is fleur-de-lis and curled and carved. And every everything has texture to it. And at times it became overwhelming. And it isn't like, like I don't know, um, Moulin Rouge, where the overwhelmingness is the aesthetic. It's meant to be overwhelming. It's meant to be too much for senses. This didn't feel that way. It just felt like they just turned everything up to 11. I will say I liked Luke Cage. Luke Cage, no, 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 Luke Evans, um, as Gaston, I think oh, there was a weird element of trying to make him that he liked, like that he was suffering from the war that he'd been in previously. Um, but I enjoyed it. I thought he brought as the best you could. That he's a character who's a big dumb jock, um, and they did what they can with him there. Um, I like Lefou. I thought he was Josh Gad. I'm always a fan of his. I think he was good. And I think some of the voices were very good in terms of playing the sort of the household ornaments. Um, but yeah, I just just didn't like it. And I think for me, that probably comes from a place of loving the original one so much. That's fair enough. I do just want to say, um, I'm not going to say I'm one of those people who picks plot holes in Beauty and the Beast. It's okay if you are. No, I'm not. No, it's fine. Um, I I did just want to say, um, I I wonder whether this is a new fairy tale. This is okay. It, it's got its flaws, like you said. The I I happen to really enjoy the introduction of Belle's mother, but when you summarise it like that, her having the plague is absolutely ri- ridiculous, and the fact that they didn't catch it as well bizarre um, but I thought that introduction was good fundamentally to start with and I just wonder whether this is a 2017 fairy tale in the same way that I mean you've, you've said quite rightly that, that who cares about certain plot holes in the original because that's just a fairy tale well maybe this is a new fairy tale and this is a fairy tale for people who do overthink originals and for people who i mean one of the one of the things that i found really interesting about the changes between the original and this were the extra element of loneliness you had mm-hmm. to this and the way i mean there are, there are a couple of songs that introduce that there's a song with so the the mourning of the objects in the house is emphasised, and there are songs involving references to Bell's p- 
past in Bell's mother, and you ju- I just I just wonder whether that extra element of loneliness brings something to a fairy tale that may possibly be missing in the original. I I would agree with that. I think there is certainly an element of... There's a deeper element of sadness to this movie. A deeper element of unspoken pain that comes from loneliness, whether it's Beast by himself in the tower or Belle as this standout person in this little local town. Or even, you know... um, her father as now a widowed person, or LeFou as this sort of person who trapped in his love for Gaston, who isn't the best for him. And I think, for me, I think they could have taken it down that route. They could have taken it down a route of, this is a serious piece. This is about, this is going to be about two broken, lonely people finding each other. And it's going to be about the slow realisation that they might be broken alone, but they're alone together. And I think that was something they could have done. I think they made moves towards that, but they seemed hamstrung by the desire to also hit the same beats as the original. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that as much as they're, like you said, they're trying not to make the same film again, they're trying to make a film that is essentially the same film again. Yeah, I mean, you've got moments like Be Our Guest, which I I love the Be Our Guest, but if you're going for a serious, you know, heartfelt story, maybe that's not the tone you want. Maybe the harpsichord firing its keys like bullets and then having no teeth at the end is a slapstick joke in a movie that isn't a slapstick movie. No. Um, And it just felt sometimes... That I did, those things didn't gel. But I do I say, I do recognise that they are going for something. The scenes that, in the same way that the original, a lot of the castle felt warm and inviting. So even when Belle was sad, her room was brightly lit and there was a fire and it felt like somewhere that she could exist, even if it was unhappily. Whereas in this, everything seemed so big. And it really struck me when they're doing the dancing scene, the dancing scene, they're dancing around the, um, the very famous scene from the original. And they look so small in this giant room. Mm. And obviously it's the same framing as the original. It's the same scene of the two of them are dancing alone in a ballroom. But somehow in the original, it didn't feel, it felt sweeping and majestic. And it felt like the two of them are owning this space. But so many shots of this felt like them alone. And yeah. it just felt the two of them having this moment. And that's a lovely moment. It's a really nice idea of these two people who are alone finding themselves. And I think that you're right. I think the staging they did and the fact that I think we probably saw less of the household staff this time than we did in the original. Mm. Um, I certainly felt like Cogsworth and Lumiere were much smaller presences in terms of their personality in the movie. Yeah. And I think there, there is a there is a route there, and there is a film in there that is about that and goes for that and drops off what they didn't need. I was just thinking when when you mentioned the harpsichord firing keys and losing his teeth at the end, and I was thinking about um, Gaston and the war and how you could sort of overlay that with wars in France, and it would be a mm. really serious point. There is a a really beautiful sentiment and they're not beautiful in a in in an aesthetic way but th- there's a really touching thing to be made out of this film mm. 
and you know, even so, even so, like LeFou, who's the fool, his name is the fool. He, there's a story there about this guy who he's the first openly gay character in Disney, as they say, um, and he's in love with Gaston. And there is a story there of this guy who is the right hand man who slowly realizes that the, his first hand man is the bad guy. And he's not, you know, just a brave, strapping lad. It's, you know, he's suddenly realizing this, this wagon you've hitched yourself to is a bad place to go. And that's a nice through line, but that ends with him throwing tea out of Mrs. Potts in a fight. And mm. it just felt like they couldn't do it. And I think we'll talk a lot more about this down the line, guys, but I think it's very interesting that Mulan, which is the most recent one, we'll be talking about that towards the end of this series, dropped all the songs and dropped the dragon. So the original has um, Mushu, I think by Eddie Murphy, and it isn't in the, isn't in the live action. We'll talk a lot more about that, hopefully, when we get there. But I think yeah. that the lesson they may have learnt on this one here is that you can't do both. If you want to do a serious one, it's there. It's ripe for the taking. And some parts of this movie, as you say, really go down that route. Um, yeah. And I just wish they'd focus more on it. I think... Sometimes I give films the benefit of the doubt, and I kind of end up thinking I've seen the film that I wanted to see. <laughs> I think this might have been it. I mean, that's I, I get it. You know, I, I'm and I'm well aware I can be harsher on movies than than most. And I think, and as I said, I think my love of the original, the drop off there is a much steeper one. I've had thirty years of loving the original um, compared to you having seen it once. Mm. Um, but. To put it back to something a bit more serious than just my opinions, I do think that they, the loneliness is a really nice way to look at this movie. I mean, I think a lot about um, Kevin Klein as Belle's father in this. And mm. in the original, he's like a silly man child, basically, bumbling around. And in this, he has this real thread of sadness. Yeah. Through the entirety of, even mm. at the start, when in theory, the status quo, he's happy with his daughter. You know, he's lost his wife, and there's a real sense of melancholy to him. Um, and when he gets, he gets captured, there's a sense of acceptance. When he gets sent to the, um, sent away in the paddy wagon, like, there's a real sense of just brokenness to that person. That I did think that that was something I noted down about the perception of his madness in the tavern. It felt in the original like it was a. Yeah, like like you said, it's just a man child, and we're gonna laugh at him and make fun of the the man and the corner. But in this one, it, you could you can really see where his madness came from, or madness quote unquote, yes. where people's perception of his madness came from, and mm. you think you can just feel the desperation in him. And I understand that. I think I think that was that was nicely done with it, and you. Brings on like Kevin Klein to movie. He's a talented actor. He's going to bring that to his role. Um, and I think that I would have loved to have seen more from that. Um, you know, in sometimes it's like, I think that's what I'd say. And I think the film in many places adds a lot. It fills gaps in it. It makes people more and gives them more to do and changes stuff. And then some places where it's stronger like that, where they, they just, they don't try and make him the same as he was, but more. They, Replace him with something else, and you say the start, the whole him be uh, that the um, the prince being a cruel and vapid man. And whilst I didn't overly enjoy the over the top production design of it, I think you're right. That sets it up as he is. He starts as a bad person, 
And one of criticisms, obviously, of the original was that if you look at the timelines, he was a small child when it happened. Um, and that's criticism is loaded. And here they're trying to answer that. I understand that. But I like that. I like the idea of giving a bit more to it. I miss the stained glass from the original. I think that was a lovely visual thing, but that was never going to work in this kind of movie, this kind of aesthetic they're going for. Um, so I think, yeah, I think you're right that there's that thread to it. And I think in many ways that whilst I think Emma Watson was a bit inert in this movie, I thought she brought a bit of that stillness to it and a bit of that melancholy. I think she'll always, I think I mean, one of my notes here is Emma can't escape Hermione. And I think I understand that she obviously played Hermione was her big break into movies in Harry Potter films. But I oftentimes I just saw Hermione. I just saw Hermione as, you know, the smart, beautiful girl uh, that she's portrayed in those, in those films. And it felt really like when we talked about um, you know, Perks of a Wallflower um, or a movie like um, Bling Ring, where she's trying to subvert her um, patient and do something else. Here it felt very much like she's playing on the audience, knowing who Emma Watson is. I see, yeah. You see, what I mean? she, she's Emma Watson as much as she is Belle here. And in the same way that people like Kevin Klein and Luke Evans, they aren't those people, that they are not that they're not acting, but they're bringing a character. Emma Watson is bringing a lot of her, you know, everyone knows she went to Dr. Brown University, she's got all that kind of thing. Her public persona is as much part of Belle as her actual acting skills so rob do you have any recommendations based on this film for films you maybe would prefer to watch uh yeah i've got two recommendations uh both actors we haven't talked a lot about dan dan stevens as the beast here uh mostly because i don't think there's much to say when it comes down to um him and his work, it was mostly in the visual effects, and I wasn't keen. That being said, he was in a film from the year before, 2016, that I do like, and I do strongly try and advocate when I can, and that's the film Colossal. It's a Anne Hathaway, Jason Sudeikis sort of double-hander. Um, Anne Hathaway plays a drunkard, drunken writer who discovers that she can summon a giant monster to destroy soul. Um, and it's about her coming to terms with this power at the same time dealing with her own alcoholism and her relationship with the Jason character. Um, it is a very strange film. It obviously kind of straddled a lot of genres. Um, I think one of the quotes I saw at the time was it's Godzilla meets Lost in Translation, which is a very good, apt sort of merging of this genre of filming. He's in it, he's very good in it, and it's a very good film that uh, not a lot of people talk about. My second recommendation is via Luke Evans. Now, I said I like Gaston. Gaston's one of the characters I really dug in that enjoyed him. I enjoy the original, and I enjoyed his production of it. Um, he was in possibly, possibly the greatest film franchise of all time, um, the Fast and the Furious franchise. He pops up in number six, as the main antagonist, Owen Shaw, the British SAX, SAS, um, and he is the one who causes them trouble in that. It's the Fast and Furious 6. It's a great action movie. They've just come off the high of five, five being the peak of the franchise so far. I think they're now on nine. Nine's coming out later this year, maybe. 
Um, but it's a lot of it's in London, which is always nice to see. Um, there's some brilliant action scenes in it um, around the streets of London, which they close the streets for. It's a really good, really good fun film. Um, and it's Fast and Furious. Who wouldn't watch it? What about you, Sam? Well, firstly, not that I've seen Fast and Furious, but what? if you're talk, talking about the greatest franchises, how are you not mentioning other things like Die Hard and Bond and Mission Impossible? Come on, Fast and Furious. Die Hard has two good films. So let's, let's not, not bring this up now. But yes, there's a row here on good franchises. Die Hard 3 is, is a gem. Yeah, yes, it is. Die Hard 3 I like. Die Hard 2 is <laughs> terrible. So, my two films for this week, one is... So, I so worked up about film franchises, I almost just gave you the names of the films and ended. Um, so, <laughs> so, my first film for this week is um, based on an actor from Beauty and the Beast... Uh, it's also, it's not one of the first films I saw, but you know, I think this might have been one of the films we saw after our GCC. But, and also, you know how there are certain films that you remember, trying, trying to work out to word this, but like, when you first sort of come a come of age as a film watcher, mm-hmm. like you're awakening. Yeah, you're awakening into what cinema can be, and that makes it sound like this is going to be an amazing film. It's not an amazing film. It's a pretty good film, but it's not. Mm-hmm. It's nothing special. But so, if I was thinking like one of the first films I've seen, it's not sort of Mary Poppins or The Jungle Book, which you would have seen very young but it's the first film I saw and can really remember seeing from that awakening period as a teenager it's a life less ordinary mm. and yes it's I mean like I said it's not an amazing film but it is a really good film and it is well worth watching it's it's a Danny Boyle film and it's got Hugh McGregor in um, I do think I watched Beauty and the Beast with my wife which might have coloured my perception of it actually because she loved musicals um, but I do think, as she said, that um, this is one of Hugh McGregor's best performances of recent years, and I do think that he's in live-action films. He hasn't been great for a while, but he was absolutely brilliant in this, mm-hmm. *Beauty and the Beast*, and he was also brilliant in a number of films in the late '90s, and one of those was. Lifeless Ordinary, and from the year after his big breakout that people will know him from, Trainspotting, um, Lifeless Ordinary, a smaller film, but one that I remember seeing and remember really enjoying. Cool. So that's my first recommendation. Um, second recommendation is the director of Beauty and the Beast, a couple of years before that, made Mr. Holmes, mm. which was... Sort of an unexpectedly quite good film. I wasn't expecting it to be as good as it was, and it stars Ian McKellen as Sherlock Holmes in his later years. And it's, I mean, it, it, it's canonical that he 
went uh, went and lived on the South Downs and kept bees. Um, and it's from that period of his life. It's about his interactions with the young boy. And so, yes, those those are my two recommendations for this week. A Life Less Ordinary and Mr. Holmes. Excellent. I've not seen Mr. Holmes, but uh, A Life Less Ordinary is a, is a stone classic in this household, so uh, mm. I can't fight yes. that choice at all. Um, it's a absolutely brilliant choice. And I'd say it is, it is often you and it is best, that one is. Yes. Because I, I think, uh, yeah, a lot of time for that. So, guys, that is our look at the most recent version of Beauty and the Beast. Next week, we're going to be looking at another film from the Disney recent period, Aladdin. So we're back here in two weeks' time with that. Till then, guys, you can find us online at Prestige Podcast on Twitter. You can talk to me at prestigefilmpodcast at gmail.com. And you can find me at KaijuFM on Twitter. If you like our show, guys, we'd really appreciate a rating or review wherever you listen or wherever you find us. Um, but if you don't know where to do it, podchaser.com is the best place to leave us reviews or Apple iTunes. We'll be back here, guys, in two weeks. Thank you.